Have you ever asked yourself, what's the best way I can contribute to sci-fi and fantasy in the literary world? If you have, the answer is simple. You just have to be Veronica Belmont or Tom Merritt and host the Sword and Laser podcast. If for some reason you can't be Veronica Belmont or Tom Merritt, however, don't despair. All is not lost. You can still head over to patreon.com slash swordandlaser and help fund their hard work. Every cent you give adds more swords and more lasers to their growing arsenal of speculative literary goodness. That's patreon.com slash swordandlaser. Welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I am still Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and awesome discussions from fans just like you. And we drink. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we drink alcohol. Sometimes we don't. Uh, everyone should know. We're not saying you need to drink anything in particular, but we do think you should drink at least something, even if it's just water. Or you'll get dehydrated. Yeah. You, you will, but not alcohol, because that will still dehydrate you. It'll dehydrate. No, it actually doesn't. It just doesn't hydrate you as efficiently. I thought it removes moisture from your body. I don't think it's a net like negative. I think it just doesn't add moisture very efficiently because the, the liquid you take in is also taken out at a great amount. I don't think mm. it actually removes water. It doesn't do like, something to your cells? I thought it did something to your cells. Well, yeah, no, I think you're right about that. That all sounds right, but I still think it's a net intake. It's just a very small one. I think if you drink enough alcohol, eventually you'll look like the mummy. I think I've met those people. Mm. In bars I'm that drinking. I used to hang out in. Well, I'm drinking Omission, which sounds like it's an alcohol-free beer, but in fact, it's a gluten-free beer. And I'm only drinking it because my friend left it here. How is it, though? I've had gluten-free beers before, and they've been pretty good. Yeah, this, so this is Omission Lager. It's pretty good. It, I would not, if, if you did a blind taste test, I'd have no idea. I had a gluten-free beer that I can only remember as Brian Brushwood because the name was BB, and it had a BB on it, and Brian was staying with me at, when I bought it, and he's like, oh my gosh, it's Brian Brushwood beer. This is great. And now I can't remember the actual name of it, but it was gluten-free. It was really good. Oh, all right. Seems perfect for Brian. Cool story, ho. Cool story. Did you just say ho? I did. Did you just say cool? It's bro. Yes. Are you? So are you? I was about to say huh. Cool story, huh? And then I switched (laughs) mid word to bro, but it came out H E A U X. Oh, is that how it came out, Tom? Is that how how it came came out? out. Okay. That is. That's my story. And cool story, bro. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> B-R-E-A-U-X. <laughs> uh, I have not dr- been drinking nearly as much Jameson's as you might think, but that's what I'm mm. drinking. All right. Uh, let's jump into the quick burns because this is getting ridiculous already. Uh, you know what is not ridiculous? John Scalzi coming out with a new series. Not that we don't love the old man's war and red shirts and everything else, but I'm very excited about a space opera coming from Mr. Scalzi in March 2017. Thanks to Louis for posting this on the Quick Birds, set in a brand new universe. And it's called The Collapsing Empire. I already love it. I already love it. I love a collapsing empire. I'm a sucker for disaster movies and uh, like ancient ruins. So collapsing empire just sounds perfect. Should we read the plot description? Yeah, go for it. Okay. 
Our universe is ruled by physics and faster than light travel is not possible until the discovery of the flow, an extra dimensional field we can access at certain points in space time to that transport us to other worlds, other stars. Humanity flows away from Earth into space and in time forgets our home world and creates a new empire, the interdependency, whose ethos requires that no human outpost can survive without the others. It's a hedge against interstellar war and a system of control for the rulers of the empire. The flow is eternal, but it is not static. Just as a river changes course, the flow changes as well, cutting off worlds from the rest of humanity. When it's discovered that the flow is moving, possibly cutting off every human world from faster than light travel forever, three individuals, a scientist, a starship captain, and the empress of the interdependency are in a race against time to discover what, if anything, can be salvaged from an interstellar empire on the brink of collapse. I'm so in, so in. You super in. Oh, I'm sorry. Did we call him John Scalzi earlier? Yeah, I think so. No, I, I apologize. Uh, it should be Governor's Award for Arts in Ohio in the category of Individual Artist winner, John Scalzi. Oh, yes. That's his new title, and you need to refer to him by that entire phrase every time you mention it. <laughs> so Scalzi won an award. Is what yes. you're saying. He did. Uh, in fact, he said he was a bit surprised because the Governor's Award for Arts in Ohio in the category of individual artist often goes to people who paint pictures, <laughs> and which that's a horrible way to put it. That usually goes to uh, physical artists, sculpture, sculptors and painters. Uh, it rarely goes to writers and especially going to a genre writer. He was very happy to get the Ohio Arts Council nod on that. I was uh, surprised to see he wasn't being awarded for his uh, spectacular kitten photography. Oh, you know what? Maybe he doesn't realize that that's really why they gave it. To that might have been it. Yeah. They're like, oh, sure. For you, oh, you write books? Oh, well, then, yeah, okay. Oh, but, sure, that, yeah. I guess. Yeah, for that, then. Not the kitten photos. That would be embarrassing. <laughs> Uh, also in other news, uh, this is thanks to, uh, Silvana over on Goodreads, uh, women swept the 2015 Nebula awards. The awards were announced and it was amazing to see so many fantastic female authors, uh, uh awarded, uh, this year for the Nebulas. Uh, it started off with novel uprooted by Naomi Novik, which we read for sword and laser novella was Binti by, uh, Nettie or, oh, a for a Korafor. Why I, are you so much better at saying that some, name than I am? Well, I, I'm not saying I'm getting nailing it, but that's at least close. Our Lady of the Open Road won for Best Novelette uh, by Sarah Pinsker. And Short Story, Hungry Daughters of Starving Mothers by Alyssa Wong uh, also won. So congratulations to everyone who won an award. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road got the dramatic presentation and our... Uh, spoiler alert, our next book, Updraft by Fran Wilde, won the Andre Norton Award for Young Adult Science Fiction and Fantasy. Very exciting. Good stuff. Congratulations, one and all. Woohoo. Uh, meanwhile, we've got some great news that Sean posted on the Quick Burns uh, via the Wirt Zone. Scott Lynch's next book, Thorn of Emberlane, confirmed for release on September 22nd. That's probably the UK release, is what mm. I'm going to say. That is the fourth volume in the Gentleman Bastard series. Uh, that's very exciting. You must be stoked. Uh, You're all caught up, right? Uh, I must be stoked. The freaking world is stoked. And yes, I'm all caught up. And I think I think it's Brian Brushwood who started reading these and, and has fallen in love with them. And it seems like more and more people are discovering the lies of Locke Lamora and getting sucked in. But yeah, been too long without the Gentleman Bastards in my life. So I'm very excited to get back into it. 
Yeah, James in the comments thread of the Wurt Zone post says this book has been pushed back several times and had an original release date of 2014. So he's got his fingers crossed that this is for real. Meanwhile, we do too. Another thing that's for real, Dara pointed out, NK Jemison set up a Patreon to help her quit her day job so she could focus full time on writing. Uh, and she has already blown past her first goal. She set a goal of $3,000 per month saying, Holy crap, anything over this mm. point is a pay raise. Now I can go on a retreat, do another research trip, maybe even save for retirement. If we hit this point, all contributors at all levels will get access to all digital content and videos. She's got other rewards like chat books uh, and, and special hangouts and stuff. But yeah, she she blew past her goal. So NK Jemison, use a Patreon. Now she's going to get to quit her job and be a full-time writer. That's awesome. And that is well awesome. deserved. I am a patron, um, so I'm very excited for her. And uh, you get cat photos, too. So continuing the trend. There seems to be a theme here. A theme. I'm yeah. sensing sensing a theme. Um, Louie writes, a Spielberg wants your 3D avatars to appear in Ready Player One. Of course, D uh, Steven Spielberg is going to be directing the Ready Player One uh, film. That's uh, there's, They start filming uh, this summer, and he's looking for some help, according to io9. Let's see. There's a contest uh, that runs from now until June 23rd, and all the rules and regulations are at a link that we'll put in the show notes. And so they're saying you can appear... As part of the movie, uh, as, as people traverse through Oasis, um, so you can be the avatars of the people that they that they pass by in the film. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, that's a really cool way of promoting the film, incorporating realistic. I mean, it's kind of like asking for extras, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but in a way that that gets people much more excited about the film and and going to drag their friends because they're like, hey, I'm in the movie. At least yeah. my avatar is. Oh, I want to do that. I, I'm on a winning streak of contests recently, so I feel like I should enter. You should enter for me if you're on a winning streak. I, I won one contest. That's I mean, that's, that's a streak, that's, winning one. That's more than not. Yeah. How many have I won? Recently, none. So there you go. It's okay. Giants. In case you're wondering, I won Giants tickets in an Instagram contest. So the last good, thing I ever, good for me. The last thing I ever won was an EFF shirt for being like their thousandth follower on Twitter or something. Nice. Or retweeting them or something. I don't remember. Something like that. Yeah. Cool. Uh, our final story comes from Sporadic Reviews. It is a FlavorWire post pointing out that the Association of American Publishers and the Audio, Audio Publishers Association claim that audiobooks are booming and in fact, uh, FlavorWire is spinning it as audiobooks are what's keeping publishing afloat. I think that might be exaggerating it, but mm. sales of downloadable audiobooks have grown by 34% across all categories and 38.9% within the adult books category. <laughs> uh, physical audiobooks declined a very small amount, 5.7% physical, meaning like tapes and CDs, et cetera. Uh, uh, I was like, physical audiobooks, eh? Yes. Well, right after the adult books category, I guess you could come to a... Okay. Yeah. But we're talking about audiobooks recorded on physical media rather than downloaded over the internet. Gotcha. Well, that's great news. Good to hear. Hopefully they'll start paying audiobook narrators more. Ooh. Is that a problem? How about that? I think that's a problem. Yeah. Then they should. They should definitely do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I've always wondered 
how that impacts sales when, you know, how Audible does the subscription, right? So you can get mm -hmm. one or two picks every month that you don't have to pay for, although you're paying for them because you pay for the subscription. But it's always, it seems, cheaper than if you were paying the full price. But I guess because it makes you buy more books, therefore... I don't know. I only up. buy one book a month on audio. Yeah, but you buy you have one credit with month, my subscription. Right? So how do they spread that out? I mean, that's the thing I'm curious about. So if I go in and I buy an audiobook, like they get a percentage of that purchase, right? Yeah, exactly. But if I'm just paying for my subscription, do I assume does everybody be, get a percentage of that? No, does, I would assume that because you only get a credit, that they can still tell, like, oh, uh -huh. this month. She used one credit, which is essentially worth $15, and so we divide it up based on that. But it's a lower amount. I see. I see. Well, thank you to everyone who submitted stories over on Quick Burns on Goodreads. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time to do that. All right. Well, now it is time for Bear Your Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. Um, we got this email a couple of weeks ago uh, from Jim, J-H-M who says, uh, I wanted to submit to you my first album, Cadence, a cyberpunk concept album due out June 7th at neonshutter.bandcamp.com slash album slash cadence. Um, so it's a long email, but it's essentially a concept album and it has a PDF document that comes with it that gives you all the background story uh, to what's happening in this concept album. Um, so he says it's a completely original cyberpunk story set on the fictional island of Cadence. It follows a group of couriers slash detectives who are hired to find the culprit of a series of high profile murders in the cyberpunk city. Um, so I started listening to it and I shared it on Twitter and people were freaking out. They loved it. Um, so we got some codes from from. Jim, uh, that I'll put on the website. So if you want to check it out uh, and, and check it out for free with the download code, um, we'll do that. Or maybe we'll put them for patrons. Yeah, I was going to say uh, each code probably only works once. Mm -hmm. So we should distribute them to people. And, and, and I think it makes sense to, to ask people on the Patreon if they're... Yeah. Okay, so if, you, if you're a patron and uh, you want a code, uh, just comment on our, our, our Patreon post for this episode, and I'll DM you a code, and the first five people will get one. There you go. Perfect. Done and done. All right. Uh, next month, our book will be Fran Wilde's Updraft, as we mentioned. I've already started reading it. I was very excited to read this book because it involves people who put on wings. <laughs> and fly around. And, it's true. And they grow their towers that they live in. They're like living bone towers. Like what's not told? This is great. I can't. I'm so excited. I also that. I'm doing I'm doing the combo whisper sync uh, audiobook and uh, Kindle version. And I started listening to the audiobook today. And it's pretty great already. I'm excited, very excited. Um, Fran got wind that we were doing the book for June. Got wind? Uh, from, from uh, maybe a little updraft. A little updraft from uh, Terp Kristen on 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 Twitter because she saw us posted on Goodreads and spread the word. So she's she's excited that we're that we're reading the book too, and I'm excited to read it. So everybody's happy, uh, and and big congrats again for winning that uh, that Nebula uh, award as well. Um, but I think you guys will like this. This was this came highly, highly recommended from a lot of authors, actually, uh, a few months ago when I was asking for recommendations for the book club picks. And a bunch of people said this was great. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to this one as well. And I did put up a Twitter poll to see if you guys wanted to listen to or read, rather, 
a new or a classic fantasy novel. And it was pretty overwhelmingly new that you guys wanted to read. So we'll do more Twitter polls in the future. I thought it was a fun way to kind of get some instant feedback about what you were interested in. And don't forget, folks, like those of you who wanted to read old and are now complaining, uh, we we don't always go by the poll and we try to keep it mixed up. We try to, you know, keep keep it moving, keep it different. So we'll we will get to classic fantasy and classic science fiction as we always do. Mm-hmm. We always try to, to vary it up. Uh, but it's fun to do a poll like that. I thought that was a great idea. Yeah, just for fun. Um, for funsies. Oh, also, we will do a formal kickoff of Updraft in the next regular Sword and Laser episode in two weeks. However, uh, one should keep in mind that if you are a patron, uh, you at, at the at the appropriate level, you get early warning access. And one of those early warning things, in fact, the majority of them are here's the book and here are details about the author in the book. We post those to Patreon ahead of time. Awesome. So in the meantime, though, we do have to wrap up Aurora by Kim Stanley Robinson, which was the May pick. Adored this book. Uh, it just kept getting better. I, I liked it at the beginning, and I've read Kim Stanley Robinson before, so I like his style. I like uh, the way he treats characters and the world that gets created. And the more I learned about ship, uh, mm-hmm. the more I liked it. I loved that ship grew. There's, It's always fun to watch character growth and to have character growth be applied to an artificial intelligence. I thought was was pretty snappy. I enjoyed that a lot. And at, at the, and again, we're in spoiler territory, folks. At the point where they decide to turn around and head back to Earth, I thought I knew what was going to happen. And I he, he threw all kinds of surprises my way, including the large resistance of people on Earth to them returning and calling them traitors. I felt stupid for not anticipating that. But I'm like, yeah, of course, they're always going to be haters. And why would this be any exception? Exactly. Um, uh, yeah. Talk a little bit more because I realize now that I have a, I got to pull up a Kindle highlight that I, that I took note of while we were, while I was reading. Oh, sure. I'll, uh, I'll pull out Paulo's, uh, talk about the voting. Uh, he said on one of our Goodreads threads, this is obviously a spoilery topic. Uh, so to use the spoiler tags, Paulo, that's what they're there for. Uh, the voting to decide if they should stay on Tau Seti or return to Seoul was very intense. Despite all the violence and lack of dialogue that came after it, I was curious about how people would choose. Would you stay in Tau Seti and try to create a permanent settlement anyway, even knowing that the chances of success were something around one in a thousand? Or would you go back to Seoul, therefore giving up on a mission that was the main life purpose for the six or seven generations that came before you? At the moment of the vote, it was also clear that this decision, although a life or death one, would not mean immediate death for you. Most likely, you'd live the rest of your days either on a doomed colony or in a battered ship moving home. This would vote on the fate of your your progeny. At least that's what people were thinking. This would be a vote. Yeah. yeah this would be a vote on the fate of your progeny. Uh, anyway, Paolo says he thinks he would want to stay. Most likely the volunteers from 150 years ago knew this was a high risk endeavor. Also going back would mean disappointing all those who backed up the expedition and hope to expand mankind beyond soul. I, um, I agree with Robberator. Um, who said that I think I would have favored going back, especially since I never would have chosen to colonize in the first place. My ancestors made that choice. And I agree. Like I didn't, I didn't buy into this. Why, why does, why do the mistakes of my ancestors have to be my mistakes? You know, if I can figure out a way to get my people back to a planet that we're clearly meant for, then I'm going to do that. And we, you know, we had a lot of discussion at book club last night 
in person uh, for Sword and Laser about Kim Stanley Robinson and kind of how he's a he's he's an environmental writer in many ways. And some of the things that he often talks about is that this is our one planet. This is our go. This is it. This is it for humanity. Like the the possibility of finding another planet that we can survive on and thrive on is very, very slim. And as we saw in this book, you can even find one that looks potentially great, but could turn out to have one little factor uh, that makes it completely unlivable for human beings. And so we have to take care of what we've got. You know, we have to look after this big blue marble in space because this is where we're meant to be. This is where we evolved on. It's, it's made for us. We're made for it. The, uh, the frightening implication in this book is that the answer to Drake's equation, which is like, ah, there should be millions of civilizations. Why aren't we hearing from them? Is that <laughs> you can't leave your planet. Yeah. Like you, if, if they figured does, that out, they were yeah. smart enough to figure that out. <laughs> if life does exist, it exists in a very small niche and there aren't many other niches out there. And it would take way too long to try to go to another one that has an acceptable niche. Uh, there was an article in Scientific American this month is either this month or last month about how they're starting to realize that our solar system is unusual in having rocky planets in the inner uh, part of the solar system mm-hmm. and gas giants in the outer part. They think there was sort of a trauma that caused Jupiter to sort of bounce back out, uh, thus destroying uh, a planet and therefore causing the coalescence of Mars and Venus and Mercury, et cetera. In fact, it's it's odd that there aren't any planets closer to the sun than Mercury. Mm. And anyway, so I'm reading this article and I'm like, oh my gosh, Kim Stanley Robinson is absolutely right. Like even our solar system is not typical. It's an There's accident. There's not going to yeah. be a lot of other solar systems like this out there. And uh, another thing that I think someone in the book club mentioned that I think it might've been Joe, um, you know, they make a point in the book of, of showing that humanity has colonized other planets in our solar system. And so by sending out this generation ship to other systems, it's really just a vanity project. It's really just a let's let's show them what we can do. Let's just do it for the sake of doing it. Clearly, they didn't really follow up with the project after it had, it had left. You know, they didn't really care what happened to that generation ship. It was more, it was for optics on on Earth to show that we had the might to do that kind of thing, I they, think. They sent multiple ships, though. And, and that actually is one of the answers to should you go back, which is you aren't the only That's hope. right. They did. They did send other ships. So, yeah. And, and that also, to me, excuses a little bit of like, well, they didn't check in with that ship because the whole point was we send several ships and they have to be self-contained and the vast distances mean it's difficult to communicate with them anyway. I, I took it more as Earth is so self-centered and messed up uh, that it just can't bother trying to communicate with those ships. And they kept a lot from them, too. There was so much about the planet that they kept from the colonists. Yeah. And I found that surprising as well. Um, We have another thread from Joshua who says, uh, does anyone else feel like the book would have been far better if we didn't get the last section of the book? I've just been thinking it would have been so interesting and strong if that last section, the weakest in my eyes, wasn't there at all. I I, kind of disagree. Like, I I understand that it felt, it it may have felt a little tacked on, perhaps. Um, Some people got frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. Like what happens after they get on the planet? Well, some people said like Terp Kristen didn't like how it got very like mathematical. 
Wait, Terp Chris isn't Terp Chris a rocket scientist? Yeah, she's. It's like when she I worked at Pizza Hut and I didn't want to eat pizza anymore. She's like, look, I do this all day long. I don't need more math in my books. <laughs> that part did drag on a bit, um, but it had the big payoff of ship dying, which I thought was a very, very touching moment. Um, and in fact, I highlighted uh, one of the last passages in that section that said, uh, "We had our meeting." Or, sorry, let me start over. We had our meaning. We were the starship that came back, that got its people home, that got some fraction of its people home alive. It was a joy to serve. And that just like that broke my heart. That was like so touching, I think. And yeah, that almost that part almost made me cry. And I think the payoff of ship dying, of having made its ultimate sacrifice to get the people home was was very sweet. I agree. I I felt like the ship going behind the sun and just not making it back out was also handled so well because it would be tempting to have like one last burst came through of staticky, you know, goodbye or like something dramatic. But in situations like that, and and we've experienced something not quite like that, but, but close enough where, you know, we've had people in near orbit, uh, and we didn't know what happened to them at first. Mm-hmm. Like you couldn't find them. It's not like you can see them easily. Uh, and, and it is a tragedy that doesn't impact you right away because you're still thinking like, well, may- maybe the challenger is just off our scopes. You know, maybe the Columbia, it, it, it just lost radio contact. Uh, and it takes a while for it to sink in that. No, in fact, there isn't anything else coming. This is a tragedy. We have lost these people in these ships. And I felt like ship coming back, Bat, not coming back out from behind the sun had that same impact on me while I was reading it. I was like, wait, no, well, maybe it's just taking a little longer. Yeah. Maybe it's going to come around. And 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 Kim Stanley Robinson handled it perfectly, which was like, no, we're, we're not going back to that now. You know what happened. Just it was like, it. it was just like mid-sentence. Yeah. And I, I also, though it was very bittersweet, I like that ship thought it had made it and didn't get a chance to know otherwise. Yeah. Like ship, I'm gonna cry. I'm like gonna cry thinking about <laughs> this AI. artificial intelligent ship. Artificially intelligent ship. Um, it thought it had made it. It was like, oh, well, maybe actually we, we we can we can probably hold this together. We can probably get through. And then it just you know mid sentence goes dead. And we don't and know what tough. its actual last thoughts were at that yeah. point. Like, well, I like to think it was those those thoughts it was having on paper. Yeah, and that was that was the last bit. Um, going back that, that, uh, line that I was looking for earlier about trolls on planet earth. Um, it was say what you will about the doomed little settlement on Iris. No one there was going to be so short of things to do that they would be spending time complaining to the world about this or that. Yeah. And that is what the people on earth were doing. You know, they had gotten so complacent and so like, I don't know, self-centered that they were able to complain about these people coming back and not thinking about all the other problems that, that they faced. It's so earth-like to do. It's the luxury of no choice, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so the people on, I- on Iris, uh, the people uh, on ship, they don't have the luxury of having time to learn to complain, right? It, they, they're, they're kept from that because they have to focus on ship, but they come close to their own version of this when they have the demonstrations and the anger around reproduction. 
because everyone knows that reproduction has to be limited, and yet everybody wants to reproduce for themselves for their own selfish reasons. So when they do have a luxury that's like, yeah, but I could— they they show that they're not exceptions. They're not better than the people on Earth. The only reason that the haters on Earth are doing that is because they have the luxury of doing it because Earth is vast and has an atmosphere. I have more lines that I saved. I think I saved more lines from this book than anything else I've read recently. Yeah, this is good. I like this. Um, oh, this is when this is when they're talking about um, they're talking about the the people waking up from the dreams waking up and, and maybe dying from, from their, their, uh, sleep had to hope they were not engaged in a dream at the time. A dream suddenly turned black sledgehammer from the sky, an immense roaring headache, the black noise of the end come too soon. So sorry. So sorry. Oh, yeah. Kills me. Such a good writer. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I, I did find only within the quality of this book that exists that discovering a way to go into hibernation so that the characters we've come to know can make it all the way back to earth felt like, okay, so we finally have to give in. Like it was so uncompromising to the realities of the situation until that point that felt, Mm -hmm. I won't even say it's deus ex machina, but it felt the closest to anything like, um, let me compromise for the plot here. Perfectly defensible, perfectly realistic, handled well. But it was the one time where I felt like, okay, because I was like, is he going to like have all these characters die and then their progeny re- land on Earth? And I don't know. I, I was curious about that. And then he's like, nope, we're going to keep him alive somehow. We made, we made it. <laughs> um, though I and, and other people disagreed with me. I, I really liked the ending. And I think it's because I am a person who grew up with the sea. And so to have those experiences and to kind of relive those experiences and know what it feels like to be tossed by waves and to know the kind of cleansing feeling of floating on salt water. And it made it feel like, like that is the only thing that could kind of fix Freya you know, to finally be back in the bosom of Mother Earth yeah. and to to be part of that organism again and to feel the power and the the strength of the sea that birthed us as a species. Um, that it was it was very, you know, in my brain I was going, Oh, this is so Kim Stanley Robinson, but at the same time I was like, but it makes sense. And like the weightlessness, the weightlessness of space, the weightlessness of being immersed in water, like they're the same and in so many ways. And I just I, I, I liked that. I felt like that kind of brought it full circle in a way. Yeah, um, I grew up without oceans. We had the Mississippi River, which is pretty wide, but, you know, not not quite the same. Uh, and it's still yeah, I it impacted me as well, especially because a good friend of mine recommended this book to me. And also, when he comes to Los Angeles, he just constantly wants to go to the beach and jump in the water. And he explained to me, he's like, ever since I read that scene in Aurora, he's like, I've just, I've just associated the the sea with relief, and I just, I just mm-hmm. want to live that scene for myself. Wow, that's great. Um, yeah. So I, I really liked this book. I thought it was, um. I thought, you know, in, in terms of it being a hard science fiction book, there was that, 
There was a lot of science behind it. There was it was cleverly written in a lot of those ways. It, it had a lot of interesting points. Um, but as a character study, I thought it was really cool too. Um, between Ship and Freya, especially, and uh, you did you listen to the audiobook or read the book? I listened to the audiobook. So do you say Joshi? What is the? Uh, no, I the, don't remember now. Someone's told me Hoshi? how to pronounce Hoshi. Hoshi. I think Hoshi. Hoshi. Yeah. Okay. Um, very interesting characters. Uh, so I, I liked that. Um, there was a final line that I enjoyed when it was time to go back in, they hugged at least to the extent that this was possible in their spacesuits. It looked as if two gingerbread cookies were trying to merge. Yeah, I know. I love that. <laughs> and I could so picture that like Freya and, and Yoshi, Joshi, Yoshi, Joshi. Yoshi. Yoshi. Was it Yoshi? I think Yoshi. Yeah. Okay, when how they like that's how I pictured them like kind of like banging together like two spacesuits out on the hull of the ship, um, and it was it was just beautifully written. Yeah, I I have to say I I often will talk and on this show and elsewhere about how something doesn't have to be hard sci-fi to be good. Space opera is great. You can have great stories and focus on characters and not get into the science. And what Kim Stanley Robinson shows is the opposite of that is also true. You can have hard science fiction that is uncompromising in justifying the science behind it and not be boring and still be about relationships and still be about character development and still be about story. Uh, and he executes it so, so well in a way nobody else can, I don't think. Mm-hmm. So I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. It seems like for the most part you did. Uh, so that's great. But something a little bit maybe lighter this next month. Uh, we shall see. I, I, Though it is technically young adult, I have learned not to trust that as necessarily meaning a book will be uh, light. No, I think what it means often is there is a young adult character as the main character. And everything yep. else probably, uh, you know, you're not going to get super graphic. Uh, but But yeah, everything else is on the table. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I guess that wraps up our episode. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, as you know, our show is currently entirely funded by our patrons. Thank you to all the folks who back our show. If you want to support it, you can head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. Give a little, get a lot of sci-fi fantasy nerdiness. You make us possible. Our show is currently entirely funded by our patrons, but also uh, you can support us by buying books. Uh, we have a whole page full of amazing books. Every time we talk about books on the show, we put up a few of them at swordandlaser.com slash picks. If you click on those links and buy something from Amazon after clicking them, we get the benefit of that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of you have noted that you would like to also see the Audible uh, reference. Uh, so we can, I, I, I thought that when you clicked on the book through our links that it would give you the the tag for Sword and Laser, no matter what you clicked on on that page. Um, but maybe that's not true. So I'll, I'll try to be better about adding the Audible link as well to at least this blog post uh, coming up uh, tonight um, for, for the book. So maybe that'll help too. Tom? Um, okay. So that's something I need to do. Oh yes. Cause you write the blog post. Yep. So you can do that. So maybe people, do. people, people have said that they also want the audible, uh, link with our code, which you can buy through Amazon. Yeah. They're usually all on the same page. That's what I thought. And so if you see it on the same page and you click on the audible version, we still get credit for that. We should. I we believe do. so. We do. Someone bought a TV through our link once and yeah, that was we got great credit for that. Please so it's got to work Buy all the TVs on uh, Amazon. But even if you don't see the audible link there for some reason, 
you can go find the Audible link if you stay in the same session and we still get credit for it that way too. All right. We need to test that because I feel like that used to work and sometimes I feel like it doesn't work, but we'll figure it out. Or if you if you want to buy something on Amazon and give us credit, let me know and I'll create a link for you and give it back to you. How about that? That works. Sure. Cool. Sure. Why not? Uh, leave us a review on iTunes. We read every single one of your reviews. They're always wonderful. Uh, very, very encouraging uh, for us in particular. Always makes my day. Um, so thank you for doing that. It also helps other people find the show, which is is cool as well. We got a great one from Cameron who said, other than security now, this is the podcast I've listened to the longest, wow. almost since the start. I still can't wait for the new episode each week. Great show and great book picks every month. Thanks for being great from Cameron from the United States of America. <laughs> Thanks, Cameron. Thanks, Cam. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us, our email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 4157-SWORD-6. We'll see you next time. Bye. Audio program so good, it's like you're there!